This is Undaunted Life, a man's podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Let's get into it. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. That is Colossians 2, 6 through 7. Guys, happy Thanksgiving. It is Thanksgiving week. Most of you guys are listening to this uh, the day before Thanksgiving, but just wanted to kind of throw it out there to you guys. One thing that I'm terrible at is practicing Thanksgiving. And I don't mean like the actual act of Thanksgiving. I do a great job at eating all the food. I mean, just practicing Thanksgiving in my everyday life because I always look at the things that are not quite the way that I want them, right? Whether it's, you know, family or career or, you know, physical performance or any of those things, I'm always looking for those ways to get better. And that's good. You know, we should continue to push, but at the same time, we need to be thankful for what we do have. And so just to flow for a very quick second here, I'm thankful for my family. My family's able to do some things. I mean, my immediate family, my, my wife, and my two boys, and you know, we're able to do things because of the career paths that we've chose chosen that are uh, going to lead us to a, a lot more fulfilling and happy life. And everybody's healthy right now. And that's just a really good thing. Over the weekend, I got to go hunting at my buddy Adam's land. And it's, it's a really cool thing that, you know, I didn't grow up hunting. And so you kind of feel sheepish and there's so many things you don't know. And I've made mistakes hunting. And I've talked about those on the show before, and I've learned a lot of things, but you know, I, I got a doe on the first day and a doe on the second day. I still got a buck tag and I need to fulfill, but just being able to go out to somebody's land and do a, a private hunt, not be worried about, you know, anybody else could potentially walking through or, or something like that. And just being able to learn from these guys that have hunted since they were, you know, barely able to walk. Like that's such a cool thing. And, and then for me, with both animals that I took down, you know, I, I put my hands on him and I pray and I thank God in those moments. And with the second one, I had a couple of guys uh, with me and I brought them in. I'm like, guys, we're going to give thanks for this because that's going to feed my family. That's going to feed other people. And that's just a really cool thing to give thanks for. And then also guys, I'm just really thankful for you. I'm thankful for everybody in this audience, you know, every month, basically, since we've started this, we've gotten more and more listeners and we've kind of exploded here in the last year, year and a half. And I'm just so thankful for you guys, because again, you know, we talk about some pretty rough stuff on this podcast. We, we do some things that don't always agree with everybody and don't always agree with you. Some of my favorite, um, you know, things that I get online or my favorite reviews are when people are like, I don't always agree with what Kyle says, but that's great. The fact that you're still listening, even whenever I will vehemently disagree with you or you'll vehemently disagree with me on something, that's an awesome, awesome thing. So I'm so thankful for you guys. I'm so thankful for our donors. Uh, as I've told you a lot on this show, we are a donation-based ministry for the most part. Uh, we do get some money from advertisements, but it's it's guys like you that are spending you know 20 bucks a month or 50 bucks a month or 150 bucks a month or something like that to support what we're doing here because you believe in what we're building. Okay. And, and eventually, you know, we'll get into some other ways to, to make sure that we can cash flow and everything like that. But to our donor base, like, I mean, y'all are literally keeping this going. And so that's why I go out of my way to make sure I say thank you every time we get a donation, because it's like, man, y'all are really the ones keeping this going. So just want to throw all that out there to you guys. And before we get into today's content, just want to remind you that we are partnered with origin. And so guys, if you were in jujitsu, if you train at all, if you wear clothes, then you should check out Origins products uh, on the jiu-jitsu side. They've got rash guards. They've got the best geese in the game. On the Jocko Fuel side, they've got the, the energy drinks, the supplements. They also do boots and work boots and jeans and all those things like that. Again, we have a new promo code. I said for a while that our promo code was Kyle, but that, that promo code is no longer working. So the promo code is undaunted, okay? So if you can find this show, if you can spell that out, then you can definitely go to originusa.com or originmain.com. Check out their stuff. Use the promo code undaunted to get 10% off. Guys. You should definitely check it out. But in the quick hitters segment today on today's show, we're going to discuss Trump announcing that he's running for president again in 2024. Elon Musk reinstating a spate of Bay and Twitter accounts. The U.S. men's soccer team changing their team logo to add the LGBTQ rainbow just in time for the World Cup. And the sentencing of the Waukesha, Wisconsin Christmas parade murderer. But we're going to start out with something. Obviously, you see the name of today's episode. I've thought about people that are in ministry and their impact and their overall scope of their impact for a long time. And I, I guess I was really coming into my own when I was formulating some thoughts early on. So like 2015, 2016, 2017, you know, whenever there was just an inkling of what Undaunted Life would be. And then when we actually launched it around that time, that was whenever I was paying a lot of attention to a pastor named Carl Lentz. So he was the pastor of Hillsong, New York City, uh, very much so a celebrity pastor. You know, it was very prominent that, you know, Justin Bieber and Selena Gomez and uh, Kevin Durant and all these people would go to his church. 
And I remember when I lived in New York City in 2012, I didn't know Carl Lentz was a thing. And it wasn't until I think the very next year when I knew he was a thing. And I was like, at the time, I remember thinking to myself, oh, darn it. Like, I wish I could have experienced what was going on there because, I mean, he was being featured on all kinds of things, right, in, in the, the Christian world, but also in the secular world. And he was, you know, just this cool guy pastor, right? Like, he was he was very stylish and he was very, um, you know, he, he was just smooth. Like every time we would talk, everything like came off so smooth and he was so uh, amenable to, to the media and look good on camera. Like all the things like he was, he was the next big thing. People are like, he's going to be the new age, Billy Graham. This is the guy that's going to, you know, uh, change America and all those different things. Like he was getting touted for all of that. But then he had like back to back to back, uh, con content things, the interviews that he did where he said some things that were absolutely and completely confusing and disappointing and flummoxing and all kinds of stuff like that. The first one, I, I'm pretty sure I've got these three in the order of whenever they came out. They may be a little bit out of whack, but I remember the first time I heard this clip whenever he was being interviewed by Katie Couric. So let's go to the clip here. And how do you feel about sort of the tolerance issue that I was talking to Joel about? I mean, yeah. I mean, do you guys have positions on, say, gay marriage and things like that? We have uh, a stance on love and everything else. We have conversations. Mm -hmm. So what does that mean? Exactly that. <laughs> <laughs> um, often people want you to make these big statements yeah, about things, and I don't believe it's fair. I don't think a public forum is always the best place to talk about something that's so sensitive and important to so many because a public forum there's no discussion there and everybody's situation is unique so i've been with some people who are you know make a statement about this and i'll say why i'd rather have a conversation with that person because if i make a statement publicly um there's no discussion there's no explanation there's just this comment and um, we want well, to just to play devil's advocate. I mean, do you feel like that's hard for yeah. you because you're so sweet? <laughs> but but do you feel like you know there you have a moral imperative to to speak publicly about some of these more controversial issues? No, because we try to be like Jesus. Very rarely did Jesus ever talk about morality or social issues. He was about the deeper things of the heart. And often people want to talk about behavior modification. Our church isn't about that. You can get behavior modification doing yoga or um, going to a karaoke thing. You can change a little bit about you. We're about soul transformation. So you start talking about some of the symptomatic stuff, that's not what we're about. We're about talking to people about their heart and their condition of their soul. And some of that stuff outworks itself, but we're not trying to change anybody because we can't. So obviously that's very vapid. I mean, we have a stance on love and everything else is a conversation. Like, I'm good on Katie Kirk to be like, well, what in the world does that mean? Like, that's that's great for a T-shirt, but what does that mean in, in everyday life? And also, you know, he talks about Jesus only talked about, you know, he never really talked about behavioral issues or, or social issues. And that's something that a lot of people get wrong because they're like, oh, you know, when Jesus was pushing back, he was pushing back against, you know, the Pharisees and Sadducees and all those different people. That was the culture of the day. So when people are like, oh, he wasn't pushing back against the government, so you should, you know, get the jab and you should, you know, shut down your church because the government said so. No. No, like to pretend like Jesus never talked about the culture and talked about individual morality is moronic. It's ridiculous. So I remember seeing that and being like, okay, at the time, Katie Couric's got this enormous show, this enormous platform. Here's this Christian pastor. This could be a good thing. Uh, that didn't really sound that great. And then he did an interview with Huffington Post and they, they do this whole like expose on him. And, you know, he comes into their offices and they just did kind of this short video uh, with him there. And so let's go to his interview with Huffington Post. Be patient with each person. What? I didn't even know that was in there. That's annoying. Everybody? I'm going to check some commentary to make sure that doesn't mean everybody. Be attentive to individual needs. That's interesting. Isn't that cool? That's why some churches want us to give blanket answers on huge issues. Well, my Bible says be attentive to individual needs. That's why we're not going to make polarizing political statements about certain things in our Christian community right now. No matter who says what, we won't be pressured into giving blanket statements to individual needs. Never. <laughs> Never. Um, speaking of diversity, you know, New York City, one thing that is polarizing to some communities, especially within religion, is mm -hmm. homosexuality and yeah. the debate around it. I mean, how do you balance those two things? I mean, are people of all sexual orientations welcome? And, and how do you see that? Absolutely. I think what I was referring to there was, you know, some people would be like, you need to make that, you, you need to answer our questions about the homosexuality issue. And I always say, I do, you just don't like my answers. And here's exactly what I mean by that. Mm -hmm. The, some media wants us to use our pulpit mm -hmm. to uh, have a soapbox for social issues. I don't believe that's our job. 
I don't believe Jesus did that. You go look at what Jesus did. He was always talking about the heart of an individual and the soul of a person, not these symptomatic societal problems. And people hate that because a lot of churches are about what they're against. We're about what we're for. And when it comes to people's sexuality, I don't want to use a public forum to yeah. talk about private things because how in the world can you have a dialogue? How in the world can I hear your story? How in the world can someone have a question? So if I, if I stand up in a pulpit and I just start railing at something or make a statement in, in a newspaper about something, I, I believe it's insensitive to the journey that people are walking yeah. on and our church is going to protect people no matter where you're from, no matter what you carry, no matter what kind of um, orientation you feel like is your um, you know, lane of life to run in, um, you know, I want to have a conversation about it. We have a stance on love yeah. and we have conversations about everything else. So there he goes. There's a, his tagline, I guess, at the time we have a stance on love and then we, you know, basically to have conversations about everything else. But first of all, though, the weird thing is he's reading from the message. So if any of you know anything about translations, like that is one of the most ridiculous translations of the Bible whatsoever. Like it's good, I guess, if you're a 10 year old girl. But aside from that, for a grown man to be leading a church, reading from the message is a little bit concerning. And then he uses that thing that a lot of people will say which is one of the most annoying things that you can say, which is we want to be known for what we're for, not what we're against. Well, part of the way that you can know what you're for is to know what you are against. <laughs> because when you pick a side on any issue, you're going to be for and against something, right? So if you pick a favorite something, my favorite flavor of ice cream is cookies and cream ice cream. That means you are for that versus the other choices. So this idea that we want to be known for what we're for, not what we're against. Again, you look at it like, how do we know that evil exists? Well, because we know good exists and we have a moral law with which to differentiate between the two. Otherwise, you couldn't compare anything. And again, he's got a very good opportunity there to talk about the homosexuality issue. And he just won't do it because what they want him to say, you know, when he's talking about all these people, they want him to say, yes, homosexuality is a sin. It's a damnable sin. It's one of the sins that can send you to hell, like all the other sins. But he doesn't want to say that because he wants to have a conversation. And what he never tells anybody is like, okay, if I were sitting down with somebody at their kitchen table, this is what I would say about the homosexuality issue if they were to bring it up, if they were to ask me about it. He never goes there. Okay, so that was Huffington Post. And so to kind of, you know, fix this whole woke triad, then he went on The View. Okay, so again, you should know my thoughts about The View at this point. Like, if you want some of the worst takes on any issue, whether political, cultural, social, whatever, go to The View. I, I like It's astonishing to me that human beings with functioning brains watch that show and think to themselves, yeah, these are a lot of great points. So this was Carl Lentz. I can't remember what year this was, but he went on The View, and he got asked a very, very direct question, and just see how he handled it. Here we go. Um, Hillsong is seen as a uh, this hip, progressive church that's drawing huge millennial crowds, mm -hmm. but it's still evangelical. So where do you stand on social issues that, that young people are particularly passionate about, like gay marriage, abortion? Like, how do you address those types of things? So we're going to go right there. Yeah, um, I thought we'll go right. hard yeah. and then we'll come down. It's only an hour show. Do I need to ring that bell? I think our, our job is still to help people not necessarily change how they think, but try to point them to what God has said, what we believe the Bible to, to say. And it's hard because I, I grew up in a church system. and I know a lot of people here probably understand where discussion and conversation is really limited. So you get told a lot of views, but you can't work it out. So we believe that the Bible's clear, that God is good, that God loves everybody, that Jesus was here to set people free. And that's still the good news of the gospel. Um, our fight in New York, for instance, is to try to make sure everybody can get in and hear it because we've been told if you disagree, you are disconnected. And we don't believe that. We believe everybody deserves the right. Who told me that? Yeah. I don't think anybody told me that. I think that's the cultural religious norm right now is if you and I disagree, we're done. And I don't believe it has to be yeah. the case. Do you, you feel that the religious groups are putting that out? I do. Uh-huh. Yeah, mm -hmm. and, and, and other sides. I think people right now are so caught up in disunity on every front that mm -hmm. it's also kind of invaded the church world and um, what I love about our church is you have different races different faces different um, backgrounds but people are committed to one cause and, and it makes so it's not special. a sin in your church to have an abortion um, that's the kind of conversation we would have finding out your story where you're from what you believe. It, like yeah, I mean, God's the judge. People have to live to their own convictions. And mm -hmm. I think if I have to tell you, mm -hmm. um, that's, such a, that's such a broad question to me. I'm going, I'm going higher. I want to sit with somebody and say, where do you believe? Um, so it's God, not an open and shut case with you. Some people would say it is. 
I, I think to me, I'm trying to teach people who Jesus is first, mm -hmm. find out their story. Before I start picking and choosing what I think is sin in your life, mm -hmm. I'd like to know your name. So at this point, that's when I realized that this guy was a snake. This guy's an absolute snake. Not only could he not answer direct questions, he kind of gave these mealy mouth, you know, feel good responses. He kind of had an applause line there when he's like, you know, uh, God's a judge. You know, you need to kind of have your own morality, like th those types of things. And it's like, you know, some people would want it to be an open and shut case. But again, he's asked directly about abortion being a sin in his church, which is a ridiculous way to frame it. But jo Joy Behar is a moron. And so it's like it's not a sin in a church versus not a sin in another church. It's either a sin or it's not a sin. Right. We, we get back to that binary world that people don't like to live in. But at this point, I was like, OK, this guy can't answer a simple question and stand up for life. Here he is in front of, uh, you know, presumably millions of people that are watching this show and the tens of millions that have seen the clips thereafter. And he had a great opportunity to give a full throated support of women that are pregnant, that are wanting to have an abortion or that have had abortions before to be able to make these women feel like, hey, you're not condemned by him but what you did was sinful and murderous, right? Like he could have done that because again, anytime you look at Jesus throughout the gospels, he didn't ignore people's sin, right? He dealt with their sin. He made sure they were aware of it, but then he said, I am the way that you can be saved, right? And so uh, at this point, I'm like, okay, this guy freaking sucks. Uh, there was a, a website at the time that's now defunct. It doesn't exist anymore. And, you know, they'd asked me to write for them for a while. I was like, nah, I don't really want to do that. And then after this view clip, I was like, okay, I'm going to write an article. And I wrote an article called Carl Lentz is the most dangerous pastor in America. You can't find the article anymore. I searched for it again. The, the website's no longer there. But I really detailed, hey, at the time, this guy has millions and millions and millions of followers on social media, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, all those different things. Millions of people that are paying attention to him. Obviously, the bigger Hillsong United, the music group got, the bigger, you know, uh, Brian Houston got down there in Australia and Carl Lentz got there in New York City. And I remember saying, this guy is very, very dangerous. And he's mainly dangerous because of the, the things that he's saying. They sound good. They, they sound very therapeutic and very self-helpy and very awesome. Not really gospel driven. Like he's not really, you know, uh, attaching himself to the gospel and he's not willing to stand up on these issues that should be softball questions that he should be able to answer in a full throated and loving fashion. And they have so, he has so much attention coming towards him because he's a good looking guy. He's a smooth guy, smooth talker, all these different things. And like, that's the thing. I was like, this guy's very, very dangerous. And then we saw a couple of years ago, he had a fall from grace. So without getting into all the details, because it's not really too terribly important uh, for the content that I'm trying to create today, is he had an affair on his wife. And I think he and his wife have a few kids. So there was a woman uh, that he had an affair with and it became public. And she went on like, you know, daytime TV and talked about the affair and all these different things. And, you know, he potentially used like church funds to, to kind of pay for some things within the affair and all those different things. So he lost his place. He was fired from Hillsong, New York City. A lot of people cheered for that. It's like, I, you shouldn't be cheering for that. It's like, I could see that coming probably a mile away, but it's like, you shouldn't cheer for that. The amount of crap that his family had to go through to get on the other side, that is terrible. I actually just looked on Instagram because I didn't know anything uh, had happened with him in the last couple of years. In September of this year, so just a couple of months ago, he posted a picture of him and his family saying, hey, we don't know what the next steps are, but you know, we've gotten through this together. And so I'm, I'm glad to see that. I'm glad to see that his family is still intact, that he and his, his wife have apparently worked through those issues or is still in the process of working through those issues. And I'm certainly praying for Carl Lentz. Now, I don't know that he needs to be a pastor again. Like I certainly, especially if he has the same theology that he had, you know, a few years ago, whenever he's still in the public eye, I don't know that that's something that a Christendom needs, but you know, for him, I, I hope that he has found a uh, true redemption for, for what he's done. I hope that his family is stronger than it ever has been. But in light of all that, I know it took a while to set that up there. You kind of have to ask yourself, is, is there somebody that's kind of taken up the mantle of a Carl Lentz? Because obviously whenever there's a vacuum created, you know, the vacuum is typically filled, but is there a new up and coming, super cool guy, dude, bro, slick style, smooth talking pastor out there that we should be worried about? Yes, there's actually several, but the one in particular that I'm going to be talking about today is a guy named jo Guy Mason. Guy Mason. Okay. So he's a senior pastor of the Australian megachurch City on a Hill. And if that name sounds familiar, and if you're a fan of this show, you've heard me talk about this guy before because I talked about him on episode 354 of this podcast because he went viral after this clip. The first and fundamental response to our humanity, according to the Bible, is that we'd marvel at the beauty of God's good design. Whether you are a man or a woman, whether you're a woman who feels like a man or a man who feels like a woman, God says you're not an accident. 
You're not a product of society. You're made in the image of God. You're crowned with his glory. So in the end, for for Christians, the, the question is not, who does the world say I am? The question is not, who does society or some religious or political figure say I am? In the end, the question is not even, who do I say I am? The question is, who does God say that I am? And God says you are loved. God says you're made by him and you are made for him. All good there. Again, you could probably quibble with some things that he said and the way he phrased it here or there. But for the most part, that's all good. But imagine, again, this is the reason why I'm breaking this up. The things that he said to kind of set the stage for what he's about to say makes no sense at all. No sense at all. So let's go to what he says literally right after that. And this is where Christians can and must lean into the rights of those who identify as transgender. The Christian philosopher uh, Edith Stein explains, whoever is near us and needing us must be our neighbor. The love of Christ knows no limits. It never ends. So if that means advocating for better health care and social support, If that means creating space for gender-inclusive bathrooms and policies that acknowledge a person's humanity and their inherent value, if that does mean thinking through complex questions around sport or the particular and unique struggles that the trans community face when it comes to health care and domestic violence and, and homelessness, then we as Christians should be on the front lines shining light and offering love. Because trans people are real people. They're not a political tool or an object for our debate. They're not a punchline in our comedy. They shouldn't be weaponized in our social commentary. Trans people are made in the image of God and are worthy of dignity, value, and respect. So we should lean into the rights of transgender people. Okay, so I'm going to do on this episode what I did back on episode 354 in case you missed it. I'm going to read exactly what I wrote when I posted this on our Instagram. Uh, And so as soon as I saw this clip, you know, I I posted it onto our Instagram account because I never heard of Guy Mason. I never heard of City on a Hill Church. But this is exactly my response that I gave on Instagram to that exact clip. Apparently, you are unloving if you don't lean into the supposed rights of people who have a mental disorder that should be treated with counseling and prayer as opposed to scalpels and chemical castration pills. I would like for at Guy Mason to more fully explain what he means by, quote, advocating for better health care and social support, unquote, for trans people. Does he mean that the taxpayers of Australia should pay for little girls to get phalloplasties, which is where they cut off healthy flesh off of their girl's arms or thighs, then mold it into a penis-like phallus, and then sew it onto the little girl's crotch? Would he want us to advocate for more little boys to be put on puberty blockers, which will open them up to a myriad of terrible physical and psychological health issues for the rest of their lives, most of which aren't even they most of which we aren't even aware of yet? Would we want us to, would he want us to march arm in arm as we demand that hospitals and doctors t- chop the healthy breast tissue off of female children as we simultaneously tell them don't worry even if you change your mind later you can just get a boob job This is the type of preaching and pastor that you get when you place the Bible and a Judeo-Christian ethic downstream of what the culture tells you is acceptable and loving. While this guy is busy trying to make leftists and LGBTQ plus advocates comfortable and happy, he is simultaneously confusing his flock, the same flock that he will have to give an account to God for when he dies of how he shepherded them while they were under his care. Okay. So at that point, I was like, okay, this is a clip that just popped up. You know, this guy kind of is doing his own thing. It just kind of is what it is. I kind of forgot about him after that. I didn't really hear much about Guy Mason. I wasn't following him. You know, I tagged him in my post and all that. I would have loved for him to respond because I would have had him on the show and we would hash this out and try to see if we could come to some common ground and make sure that he was, you know, describing things in a way that was accurate. But that was until about a week ago, okay, where he went viral. Again, now he mainly went viral in Australia because it was a big thing that happened in Australia, but you know, it certainly came around all the way around the world and hit me again. And he, he went viral again for being a, just basically a coward. 
and get in, getting his butt handed to him on live TV in Australia. So to set the scene, this was an interview between Guy Mason and a guy named David, I, I think he says his last name is Coke, David Coker. They, they call him Cokey or something like that. I can't remember. But it's on Sunrise TV show on 7 News in Australia, okay? So the reason for this is the Essendon Bombers. So this is an AFL team, so that's the Australian Football League. They hired a guy named Andrew Thornburn to be their new CEO. Guys, and by the way, if you haven't watched uh, Aussie Rules Football or footy as they call it down there, it's freaking awesome. Like, I'm, I'm a, a Gold Coast Eagles fan, okay, because I spent some time in Perth, but it's awesome. You should check it out. But Andrew Thornburn, again, he was named CEO about two days later, like not even two days later, he was forced to step down uh, when it was revealed that he holds to basic Christian doctrine on topics such as homosexuality and abortion, and that he was uh, chairman of the City on a Hill Church. That's the one where Guy Mason is a senior pastor. And so specifically in all the stuff that you know went all around the country there in Australia, there were quotes from some of Guy Mason's past sermons that were brought up whenever he spoke specifically about the topic of abortion. And so here are some of those controversial statements that Guy Mason made you know, a, a while back and so here's some of those here. Whereas today we look back in sadness and disgust over concentration camps, future generations will look back with sadness at the legal murder of hundreds of thousands of human beings every day through medicine and in the name of freedom. And another quote from another sermon was this. We, what we ought to do is extend love, care, hope, and healing to those who have not aborted their baby. At which point I would say, yeah, cosign. I'm going to co-sign both of those things, absolutely. But those two statements specifically were brought up to basically force this Andrew Thornburn guy out. They basically gave him an ultimatum. Hey, it's either your faith and you know this this churchy stuff that you're doing, or you can be the CEO of the Essendon Bombers, okay? And so just as a quick side note here, um, why should we care what the people that run our favorite sports teams think or believe? Because again, this was a national issue in Australia. This was talked about in all the papers for a very long time. This was, this was like a huge deal. But why should we care? Like if, if you're a fan of a sports team, shouldn't your primary concern for the people running that sports team is that, that they're focused on winning and they're going to do what it takes to win? Because I got to be honest, of all the sports teams out there, I'm, the, I'm a St. Louis Cardinals fan above everything else, okay? John Mazalak, who's the, the president of baseball operations, I don't care what he thinks in his personal life. I don't care what he thinks is moral, not moral. Like uh, Bill DeWitt Jr., who's the owner of the team, I really don't care what, what he thinks in terms of the St. Louis Cardinals. I don't care what those guys think. In terms of the St. Louis Cardinals, I want those men to do everything they can to make sure that the Cardinals win the last game of the season because that's the whole point to Major League Baseball, and that's how you win the World Series is by winning the last game on the calendar for the entire league, okay? That's all I care about. So this wondering whether or not you know the CEO of your favorite footy team is doing things that are in accordance with what you believe and you think who freaking cares is that where we're going now society okay like it's just kind of crazy here but I do want to go ahead and go to this interview and so we're going to break down this interview because this is going to give us a very deep look at some of the things that Guy Mason thinks and believes but just if you're if you're not watching it because this is going to be audio only because we don't have the rights to that video or whatever so if you're watching this on Rumble or YouTube or something like that uh, I'll put the actual link in the show notes so you can check it out for yourself but I, I would encourage you to go and watch it because it's like man like his his mannerisms are kind of weird and I just don't know like was something wrong with him that morning but let's start from the beginning of this clip uh, all right, it is the resignation that's divided the nation. New Essendon Chief Executive Andrew Thorburn stepped down after just 30 hours in the job after being asked to choose between his faith and footy. Mr Thorburn is the chair of a church group and Essendon deemed its views to be at odds with the club's values. It's prompted an uncomfortable question for the, for the entire country about religion versus work and whether being forced to choose amounts to discrimination. Joining me now, Guy Mason, he's the senior pastor of the church group in question, City on a Hill. Welcome to you. Good to see you, um, David. You know Andrew Thorburton personally, mm. he's the chair of your board. Do his personal views align with your hardline views of the church on abortion and homosexuality? I know Andrew to be a great man. Uh, he's a man of uh, integrity, uh, generosity, warmth, uh, and he's a man of faith. And I admire that in him. Uh, it shapes who he is. Uh, he loves his faith. He loves his footy. And uh, I hope we could live in a world where we can express our faith uh, and we can do that and celebrate okay. that. 
So it's not going to be a shock to you to realize that he doesn't really answer the question, but, but okay, you know, it's the first question. Again, when you're doing an interview like this, like sometimes it's hard to kind of go full bore from the very, very beginning. So I'll give him a little bit of a pass. It's your first question. It's the first time that your mouth's open, you know, like, okay, but let's keep going. But do his views align with the churches on abortion and homosexuality? Well, the Christian view uh, is one of life and it's one of love. Uh, mm-hmm. That's what we stand for. Uh, that's what we want to proclaim, that Jesus is all about life and yeah. he's all about love. And I'm yeah. sure that Andrew would agree with that. Uh, you'd need to ask him his views. But no, no, no. You, he hasn't given his views. You know him well. He wouldn't yeah. be chairman of your board unless yeah. he shared exactly the same views that the church does. Well, what's at the heart of our church is a passion to know Jesus and make Jesus known. Uh, We seek to shine that light, love people, serve people, build communities, plant... Yeah, but but comparing abortion to the Holocaust and homosexuality as sin is not love, it's not inclusion. Mm. There are so many other churches that are tolerant, mm. are inclusive. Mm. You all read the same book. Yeah. Why, why do you have this hard line mm. and not so loving view? So you see what the host is doing there? You can obviously tell that the host is not a Christian. There's so many other churches out there that are loving and tolerant, unlike you guys. But what he's saying is they're loving and tolerant, which is to say that they're not holding to biblical Christian values, right? But what's happening right now is the host is defining what love is tolerant and love and tolerance is. Okay. So he's obviously the host and, you know, he's a very strong personality. You can tell that. And, you know, from the very beginning, Guy Mason has kind of been on his heels and, you know, you can see him trying to recover, trying to pull himself back. But the host is just defined what love and tolerance is. So this would be a great time for Guy Mason to lovingly set him straight. So let's see if he does that. Hmm. Well, we're talking about a quote was from probably 10 years ago. So real quick, this is a big time bugaboo for me because I hate when people do the, you know, it was a quote from a long time ago thing, because here's the thing is the timing of the quote is not important at all. Whether or not the person still believes what they said to be true is important. Okay. Because like, if you're like, oh yeah, you know, I don't really believe in that anymore. Okay. That's the point. So it doesn't matter. He's trying to like make it nicer and easier when he's talking about his own sermon content. He's like, oh, you know, that was from like almost a decade ago or something like that. But it's like, does that matter? Like, do you still believe those things? I don't care if you would say it differently. Do you still believe that? So I hate when people do that. So don't say that because actually, you know, makes your own argument weaker when you're like, oh, yeah, I said that a whole long time ago. So let's get back into the clip here. Uh, And uh, the intention was not to be inflammatory. The words were wrong. I'd use different words today. The essence of the message, though, was that Jesus is all about life. We're inclusive. We're not homophobic. We're for life and we're for love. You're not homophobic. No. You say homosexuality is a sin. Well, we, the Bible holds up marriage as a gift from God for one man, one woman. Yes, okay. that's a mainstream Christian view. I'm an Anglican. But it wasn't even discussing homosexuality. It's a 2,000-year-old document. Come on, it was a different time. It was a different era. So many other churches are loving and read it completely differently to you. So again, the the host is giving him a golden opportunity to take over this discussion, define the terms correctly, and to argue from a full-throated Christian perspective. But to go back to the beginning, whenever he's like, yeah, you know, my words were wrong. Again, I'm going to go back and actually read the words that were so controversial. Here are the words. These are from two separate sermons. Whereas today we look back in sadness and disgust over concentration camps, future generations will look back with sadness at the legal murder of hundreds of thousands of human beings every day through medicine in the name of freedom. Again, this is in Australia, so they don't have quite the same abortion numbers as we have here. And then the other sermon said this, what we ought to do is extend love, care, hope, and healing to those who have not aborted their baby. So he's going back and saying like, those words were wrong. What about those words were wrong? Was it a little rough? Would some people maybe get a little bit offended? Well, yeah, like sin is very offensive, especially to God. If you think about it that way, but again, the, the, this host is basically like, wait, you're not homophobic. He's going into the homophobic thing. And the guy just immediately goes, no, I'm not homophobic. It's like, that'd be a great time to ask him. What do you mean by homophobic? If by homophobic, do you mean that we, we go to the biblical morality of one man and one woman? Where do we even get the definition of marriage? Where's the first time in written human history that we see two people coming together and joining in a, a, a union, right? We, we see that in Genesis, okay? But, but again, he's, he's getting another opportunity here. He's, he's getting another opportunity. This host is giving him every opportunity in the world. He's not really interrupting him. Like he's giving him a chance to talk, so he's not doing the whole Bill O'Reilly thing. And so it's just like, man, Take the ball and run with it. Let's go.
Let's go back to the clip here. Well, we're a very diverse community. We are about love. Uh, our community is made up of all kinds of people, uh, of different nationalities, different backgrounds, different sexual orientations. But you, but you say it's a sin, different sexual orientations. Uh, yes. Anyone in your community that has a different um, sexual orientation, you say you're going to go to hell. Well, the point of the Bible is that we're all sinners. I'm a sinner. Right? We're okay. all sinners. All right. The good news of the gospel is that Jesus okay. came I'm not to... going to have a battle of the Bible. It is... <laughs> sure. So I literally just got there saying he's not interrupting him. He interrupted him several times in that clip. But the thing I want to point out here is he's trying to corner him. The host is trying to corner Guy Mason on the homosexuality issue. Guy doesn't give a full-throated support saying that homosexuality is in itself a sin. And then when the host says, ah, well, I don't really want to d- debate the Bible with you. He goes, okay, sure. He actually said, sure. Yeah, sure. I don't have to keep going. I'm sorry, because Guy Mason was in the process of sharing the Bible with this guy, which is a great thing. And the host just kind of interrupts him, says, ah, we're not going to go there. And he just stops sharing the Bible, stops sharing the gospel with this guy. Really? Is that all it takes for some TV show host with a microphone on his lapel in a, in a tie, like to just wave his hand and be like, ah, I don't want to talk about that. He's like, yeah, okay, I guess not. I guess we don't have to talk about that. Let's go back to the clip here. Um, but if that was the case, mm. why did Andrew Thorburn apply for the job when he knew the values of the Essendon Football Club yeah. were completely different to the values of his church and his faith? Andrew's a man of integrity. He's a great leader and he has demonstrated... Well, he shouldn't through, have applied then. Well, he's demonstrated through his life his ability to lead in a very diverse organisation uh, and to manage uh, and lead well in that uh, climate. Uh, and I think... He's done that previously, his record shows, and he would have done a great job in this role. Right. But then the pride round comes up with AFLW in a couple of weeks. Mm. How could he have honestly stood there and encouraged the the sentiment around around pride round? Because it would go completely against your views and beliefs and completely against his. Well, a footy club is about loving the game and loving the jumper. And it's a bringing together of people of all different walks of life. And and it's loving the community. And loving the community. And the community... Not so much different to your job. Yeah, that's right. Well, the community is made up of different people. And what we're... The key point here, the principle here, is we need to uh, be diverse and be inclusive. Jesus championed diversity. He championed inclusivity. But shouldn't you be more inclusive? We are. We're very... No, you're not. You're just saying... You're comparing abortion to the Holocaust. You're saying if, if, if you're gay, you're going to go to hell. That's, that's not really being well, inclusive and loving. To be fair, I didn't say that. Uh, well, words the, to that effect. Uh, and and no, it's, that's, uh, it's, it's on your church website, too. No, I did not say those words. I said that Jesus offers life and love to all people. That invitation goes to everybody. Uh, and we open the doors and we have people within our church of different backgrounds, different sexual orientations. I have good okay. friends who are Christians who are same-sex attracted, who love Jesus and have found life in him. Okay. So that got a little bit contentious there, but Guy Mason, you know, showed a little bit of backbone and said, Hey man, I I didn't say that. But in reality, the host was right. It's like, well, you essentially said that you may not have said it in that, those words in that particular order in that particular cadence, but that is what you said. And again, there's another opportunity to stand up and define what tolerance and love actually is because the host is trying to say, well, you can't be loving and tell someone they're being sinful. I mean, and again, to be fair, there are Christians today that would say the same thing. That, oh, if you point out somebody's sin, that's church hurt. Oh, you know, we can't have that. You can't point out somebody's sin because that's, that's a major problem, right? You're, you're, you're going against my nature. And if God, you know, made me, then he made me by this nature. So it couldn't be wrong. There's nothing in my nature as a sinner that could be even sinful. What are you talking about? So we'll just go to the last part of the clip here. It's about uh, 20 or 30 seconds. Even the most conservative bloke, I think I know, Peter Dutton, mm. calls your views an abomination. Well, again, quoting a a snippet of a sermon from nine years ago, which, as I just said, are words I would not use today. Uh, I would phrase things very differently. But again, he would, as I would, stand by the, uh, the message of the Bible that Jesus is for life. Uh, and I stand by that. Okay. Guy Mason, thanks for joining <laughs> Thank us. Thank you. Appreciate your time. So then he takes one more opportunity to basically say, oh, I wouldn't say these horrible, terrible words, basically comparing uh, the slaughter of innocent children in the womb to the Holocaust, which is there, again, the Holocaust in, in you know, Nazi Germany is used in way too many people's comparisons. But what more apt comparison is there currently in humanity than millions and millions, tens of millions of babies every year across the world 
innocent human beings being slaughtered in the womb. But, but he, oh, I would have phrased it differently. Again, so as I tell people, when I give people advice, if they're doing interviews or podcasts or all that, it's like, when you finish your answer, like finish with, with a thump, you know, don't finish with a thud, finish with a thump. Let the host know that you're done with your answer. Like you're ready to go. You're ready to move on. Cause that's, you know, where it becomes a lot more quotable. And he just kind of like, just kind of ended with a thud. So he got smacked around by this guy. Now, yeah, I'm not advocating for Guy Mason or any of you guys to go out there and start yelling with some host. And again, most of you are not going to get an opportunity to do a five minute interview with somebody on a nationally televised, you know, news station or something like that. But at the same time, we have to be ready for these opportunities to be like, wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm not going to let you frame truth incorrectly. Because if we don't define our terms, if we don't frame this conversation accurately, then it's not going to be productive no matter what we say. Okay. So again, he goes viral again. And you know, here's this guy. And when he popped back up on my newsfeed, I'm like, my goodness, is this guy just constantly stepping on his own? You know what? Like, I mean, come on. And then I see that on November the 6th, because I, you know, followed on, on my uh, Apple podcast or whatever. I see that guy Mason was asked to come and speak as the guest speaker on Sunday morning at wait for it, the village church in Texas. That's Matt Chandler's church. Okay. Now, apparently Guy Mason has spoken there before and I I may have missed it. So I I didn't really know that he had spoken there, but you know, three, four years ago. And I watched the sermon that he gave on November the 6th. I mean, it was fine. It was nothing to write home about, but nothing on the crazy woke spectrum, thankfully. But in light of that initial clip that he went, you know, viral for on the trans stuff, in light of the new seven interview that he did in Australia, where he just got smoked. And then in light of him speaking at the village, being invited to come and speak, it begs two really, really big questions as we're looking at and framing Guy Mason, okay? The first one is this. What in the world is the Village Church doing? What in the world is the leadership of that church doing? Okay, so if you're familiar with this, and I think I talked about this a little bit, Matt Chandler is on forced sabbatical right now. We don't know when he's going to come back. We know he's coming back, but we don't know when, okay? And the line from him and the line from TVC, they just call themselves TVC, the Village Church TVC, it still doesn't make any sense, okay? as to why he was forced into this, you know, sabbatical, this time away. Because there are only two ways to perceive the statements on this issue. And so, so just so everybody knows, uh, that if you're not familiar with it, he was trading DMs with a girl, or not a girl, with a woman online. And apparently the woman's husband was aware of it. And Matt Chandler's wife was aware of it. And these DMs were not sexual in nature or anything like that. But I think it was just joking. I think it may even have been like political joking back and forth. Nothing that would be deemed inappropriate. And TVC, the leadership there, decided Matt Chandler's got to step away for a little bit because this shows unhealth. They never used the word sin, and Matt Chandler never used the word sin, but they called it unhealth, okay? So that's the line from him and TVC, okay? It still doesn't make sense. But there's really only two ways to perceive their statements on the issues with Chandler. Number one, is they're deliberately withholding accurate details, which would make Chandler look worse? Or number two, they're telling the whole truth, and they super-duper mega overreacted by removing him from his duties albeit temporarily. There's really not uh, another way to read this situation. Because again, you're either only giving us the amount of truth that was already in the public eye, or you're telling us the whole truth and you just went way out over your skis by taking the guy out of the pulpit, because that's going to define him potentially for the rest of his career as a pastor. Okay. But in the interim period, the, the, the people over there at TBC, you know, while they're the piecemealing Sunday mornings together with elders speaking and some guest speakers here and there at that are from outside of TBC, you decide to bring in Guy Mason? The guy who, if anybody knows him, they know him for getting smacked around on television for not standing up for a biblical sexual ethic. And, and the guy that basically said, ah, we need to lean into transgender rights as opposed to leaning into the truth of scripture. That's the guy you decide to bring in? What was the best case scenario? Again, the, the sermon was fine. You can go listen to it. There's nothing crazy there. But again, Matt Chandler sends non-sexual DMs to a woman that is not his wife, at least that's what we're being told, can't preach, can't preach, get him out of the pulpit. But Guy Mason says that we should lean into the rights of trans people, and he apparently is incapable of defending biblical positions against murder and homosexuality while being interviewed on live television. Hey, let's bring him in. Let's have him be our guest speaker. Hey, you know, why don't you just have him replace Matt Chandler? Have him take over TVC. And so that's the first question it begs is, what in the world is TVC? What is the Village Church doing? And the second question is, What in the world is Acts 29 doing? That's the Acts 29 network. A lot of you guys are familiar with that. That is a Protestant, you know, Calvinist reformed church planning network. Well, City on a Hill is part of Acts 29. And obviously the village church is because Matt Chandler is the president. And 
that is a good thing for a lot of people to where they can just go, okay, I just moved to a new community. I don't know any of these churches. There's tons of them around. Uh, which one are the Acts 29 churches? Because you kind of have a good idea. And my understanding is that in order to be an Acts 29 network church, you have to go through a lot of rigor to kind of, you know, say that, hey, this is what we define as our, as our doctrine as a church. This is what we're going to do moving forward with discipleship. Like my understanding is that it's very, very rigorous. Why was there not any... Any anytime Guy Mason goes out and says these things, why is there not some sort of like action from Acts 29? Because I didn't see, I looked for it, I didn't see a a, a d- definition of the things that he said, you know, the things that he was spouting about transgenderism and some of the things that they say. I didn't see Acts 29 come out and say, yeah, these are these are abhorrent views. We we don't co-sign these views at all. That they weren't disciplined at all, any of those types of things. And again, it may seem like cherry picking because this guy has, you know, over a decade's worth of sermons out there and there, there hasn't been a whole lot of craziness about it, but it's like, you thought there would be some heft to this pastor that is kind of, kind of the new darling of Acts 29. And that's, I guess where, where we kind of come to here, because it's taken me a while to get there. We have Carl Lentz as a very dangerous guy. And he's dangerous because of how uh, good he is at speaking, how well he presents himself, and who he hangs out with, and when he was elevated by Hillsong to be the next big thing. What kind of seems like we're in the early stages of Acts 29 or, or whatever, elevating this Guy Mason guy as the, the next big thing. And again, he's Australian, so he's kind of got the accent thing going on. He's a good-looking young guy and like all those different things. He's got the big church in several locations, and he's doing the whole mega church spread the thing. Man, so what do we need to do? with Guy Mason. And there's three very, very quick things that I want to get to before we get to the quick hitters. The first thing is we need to keep a very close eye on him because he's not Carl Lynch yet. He, he's not the big time guy. He doesn't have millions and millions and millions of followers yet. He hasn't written that bestseller or any of those types of things, but we need to keep a very, very close eye on him. Okay. He's a guy to watch for sure. The second thing is we need to hold him to account. And I say, we, I know we have some listeners down here in Australia. If you go to his church, and he starts spouting these abiblical nonsense theories that are outside of the Judeo-Christian ethic and, you know, accepted Christian doctrine, you need to call him out. So many people are so afraid of calling out their pastor. And, you know, you can call out somebody by just asking questions. You can set up a meeting, which, you know, at a megachurch uh, like that, I don't know that you could actually get a meeting with a guy like Guy Mason, but let's just say that you could, right? That you go there, you get a meeting with him. You don't have to just start screaming at him. You just ask him questions. Hey, you said this during the sermon. This is my understanding of what the Bible means uh, when it comes to transgenderism, how they were made, made male and female, and I don't think that we should you know, acquiesce to people's mental illnesses. Can you please help me understand? Because you might get a great answer. You might not, but you give them the opportunity. But that's one way that you hold them to account. Like, hey, you're not just going to go unchecked there up at the pulpit. Because again, as you know, I've kind of changed my, my tune on this a, a bit, just because a church is big does not mean it's unhealthy. But when a church is that big, the, the potential for unhealth is very, very apparent. And the, the ramifications of that and the tidal wave that it could create and, and the wake behind it could be a major, major issue. And so for a guy like that, that is that impactful in Australia and is having that big of an impact and is planning that many churches, he's got to be held to account. And the last thing here is we need to pray that he and Acts 29 leaves this whole woke stuff behind. Because again, Guy Mason is leaning into a lot of the woke stuff in culture. And he's leaning into it, especially by saying, you know, oh, you know, those words that I said 10 years ago, I wouldn't say them like that now. Why not? What exactly is wrong with telling people that when you kill millions and millions and millions of innocent children, that that's a bad thing? Like, how exactly would he reword it? Like, I, I don't understand the, the mealy mouth response. I just don't get it. But for a guy like Guy Mason, you should not be praying for him to fall. I remember people, you know, shoot, hooting and hollering whenever Carl Lentz was, uh, was found out to be a cheater and they cheated on his wife and all those different things. I was heartbroken for him and his family. Well, not for him. I was heartbroken for his family. Like, he's a dope and he made the horrible decision. Like, it's his fault, right? But, man, I wasn't happy about that. Like, would I have wished that he would have had a big ministry and that he would have had good theology, wouldn't have been leading people towards this kind of therapeutic version of Christianity? You're like, yeah, certainly. But I wasn't rooting for a guy like that to fail, for him to potentially ruin his entire family tree. And you shouldn't want that for Guy Mason either. We should just want him to hold to traditional biblical doctrine and have the stones to stand up to people that are saying things that are bad. Like, oh, well, you know, you're saying homosexuality is a sin and abortion is a sin. That's not very loving or tolerant. You're telling me you've been a pastor for over a decade and you don't know how to respond to that question? 
which is a good reminder for, for all of you guys, is that there are going to be times where you have the opportunity to stand up against people that are claiming things about you and claiming things about what you believe. And if you're not ready to give an apologetic for that, it could be a massive, massive issue for you. All right, guys, let's get to the quick hitters here. The first one, Trump announcing he's running for president again in 2024. So this is according to Fox News. Former President Donald Trump announced that he is running for the 2024 Republican nomination for president, seeking to stage a dramatic return to the White House after having lost his bid for re-election to Joe Biden in 2020. Trump, a Republican and the leader of the Make America a Great Again movement, announced his third presidential bid on Tuesday, that's November the 15th, during a speech at his Mar-a-Lago, Florida home after having teased a bid since leaving office in 2021. Quote, in order to make America great and glorious again, I am tonight announcing my candidacy for the president of the United States, unquote, Trump said, Tuesday evening to a crowd of supporters. I probably shouldn't have said, quote, unquote, it is what it is. So there you go. So I've got some quick thoughts here on this. We knew this was coming. We absolutely knew this was coming. He didn't have to tease it. We knew he was going to do it. Another quick thought is it's crazy early. I mean, I, I don't know of an, another time, certainly not in modern politics, where somebody announced this early, especially a former president to announce this early. And another quick thought is just he certainly lost a lot of shine that he had, you know, because he had quite a bit of shine, especially from conservatives that didn't initially support him, that ended up supporting him like me. But that shine was in 2016 to 2019. And that's all seemingly gone. Nobody is undefined in their views on Donald Trump. And again, he lost an election to Joe Biden before January 6th. And whatever you think about January 6th, that is a major negative for a lot of voters, including independents and including Republicans. So my big takeaway on this is, goodness gracious, this is going to be exhausting. Two years of Trump on the campaign trail, two years of him attacking his opponents, two years of trying to figure out what he's going to say or do next, it's going to be absolutely and completely exhausting. And I'll say this as I've said it other times as well. If he wins the Republican nomination, I will vote for him for president, obviously. But I think there are certainly better views and better people out there. I've talked about Ron DeSantis a lot. I mean, even Mike Pence, you know, I had you know, one of my buddies that listens to the show quite a bit. He sent me some stuff. and He's like, man, Mike Pence, is, he's a solid guy. And when you listen to him talk, when you listen to his interviews, he is. He seems like a gen, genuinely decent human being, a decent man. But I just don't know that we can have a decent man in the White House anymore. Like, I would like to say that we could, but we need that fighter. We need that person that can go off and do all the different things. And so, and again, regardless of what Mike Pence does, he's always going to be inextricably tied to Donald Trump into that administration, regardless of what he tries to do. But in the early polling, he's running third, you know, well behind Ron DeSantis and well, well, well behind Donald Trump. So we'll see how that goes. Our next quick hitter here, Elon Musk reinstating a spate of banned Twitter accounts. So first and most importantly, there were a lot of ones that were reinstated. We're only going to talk about a few of them. The Babylon Bee. Okay, so that is the Christian conservative uh, satirical website or whatever. Obviously, most of you guys know them, you're fans of them. So they're pretty much the reason why Elon Musk bought Twitter, bought Twitter to begin with, because he you know, really liked them and he was sharing a lot of their stuff, went on their podcast. And then whenever they uh, were banned earlier this year, that kind of got, Don, or got uh, Elon Musk's attention. Because the tweet that got the Babylon Bee banned on March the 20th of this year said, the Babylon Bee's man of the year is Rachel Levine. So obviously there's a picture of Rachel Levine. So that is the dude that works for the United States government, works in the Biden administration. So they're just being funny. Like, obviously this is super duper a man that just has long hair and wears dresses. And, you know, he's the man of the year. And that's what got them banned. And they refused. Uh, you know, Twitter basically said, if you take down the tweet, we'll let you have your account back. And they said, nope, we're not doing that. Seth Dillon went on uh, Joe Rogan Experience a couple months back to kind of talk about that. But in their first tweet back, after being reinstated by Elon Musk, it said, we're back. Let that sink in. So that was actually an ode to the first day that Elon Musk went to the Twitter headquarters. He walked in with a sink and he said, I'm, you know, he basically said, I'm the new owner. Let that sink in. So it's kind of funny because he's got a sink and he's walking in, let that sink in. And so that was actually a really, really funny tweet by them if you got the joke. But then another prominent reinstatement was Jordan Peterson. So the tweet that got him banned on June the 22nd of this year, it said, quote, remember when pride was a sin and Ellen Page just had her breasts removed by a criminal physician. So he's responding to Ellen Page, uh, who is now we're supposed to call Elliot Page because we're supposed to pretend that Ellen Page is now a man. And so he put that out there. He was banned. Obviously, he responded in a very, very uh, over, over the top ways, basically saying, hey, you can go you can go pound sand. He was reinstated. And his first tweet back was this. I'm back. Thanks at Elon Musk. And then the picture that he posted with that was the here's Johnny picture of Jack Nicholson from The Shining. But obviously, the biggest of all the reinstatements was, of course, former President Donald Trump. Uh, he was banned after the January 6th riots, even though even on the platform, his last two tweets, he's like, please, no violence, all those different things. But the reality of where we're at right now is I don't really see Donald Trump coming back to Twitter 
And the reason is because he's got a lot of money and a lot of time and effort put into True Social. So I'm not on True Social. Some of you guys maybe are, but that's the you know social media uh, thing that he kind of posted out there. My understanding is there's only conservatives on it. So there's not like a discourse going on there. It's just basically where conservatives kind of go and hang out. It's what Parler was. It's what some of these other ones have been. But if he comes back to Twitter, he's basically admitting like, yeah, I'm getting probably like 50 times more attention from people on Twitter as opposed to true social, it's going to be kind of, it's going to go against him in terms of some of the investments that he's made. So we'll kind of have to see what, what that looks like, but it wouldn't surprise me if he never came back to Twitter. But my big takeaway on this is that Elon Musk is doing a lot of things, right? At least here initially, again, everyone's kind of like couching everything he's doing in the most negative light possible. And you know, how could he be the best businessman ever and then run this business so poorly, but it seems like he's doing a lot of things, right? But the jury is still out on the long-term goodness or badness of his takeover of Twitter. Because again, this guy is still a leftist. This guy is, you know, environmentalist. He's all those different things. Even if he's doing things that you like, again, call balls and strikes on the things that he's doing. But one other quick thing before we move on to the next quick hitter is I find this interesting. You see these people that are tweeting for the first time in months, sometimes in the case of years. I know Project Veritas was let back on, some other conservative commentators. Who were the left-wing commentators that had to be brought back to Twitter? Because I haven't seen any of them. Who are those left-wing voices that were banned at some point over the last two or three years, or at least from the beginning of the C-word, the, the, the supposed pandemic? Where were those accounts? They didn't have to be reinstated because they were never banned. So it kind of goes to what was happening at Twitter at the time and the people that were working there and what they were keeping people from doing. So something to keep in mind as you move forward. Again, we'll see if this kind of uh, shakeup within Twitter is going to work out. All right, next quick hitter here. The United States men's soccer team changing their team logo to add the LGBTQ rainbow. So this is according to Newsweek. The U.S. men's national soccer team, the USMNT, has unveiled a new crest, sparking outrage on social media ahead of the team's opening match at the FIFA World Cup in Qatar. The Middle Eastern country has strict laws surrounding same-sex relations, and LGBTQ groups have expressed concerns about the soccer tournament being held in Qatar. The U.S. soccer team has shown that it stands with the LGBTQ community with the squad's Be the Change initiative, which was launched in 2020, and the shield redesign is part of this. Instead of the usual stars and stripes, it will feature rainbow colors, which are associated with the pride movement. Okay, so I'll, I'll show that here on the screen for those of you that are actually watching, but you can kind of see the, the change. So this, this kind of immediately leads to some questions. Are they somehow saying that the LGBTQ flag better represents the whole of the United States more than the stars and stripes? Is that, is that what they're saying? Because again, if you just look at it statistically speaking, there's not very many people that are LGBTQ. It's obviously going up as it becomes more of a social contagion, but that's not representative of the whole of the 330 million people that are currently legally living in the United States of America. Also, why are they not being inclusive of the entire array of LGBTQ plus peoples with this logo? Because again, the, the rainbow logo, that's the old school one, right? I don't know if you've seen the updated, you know, pride flags. There's a whole lot more colors to be represented. So I personally feel like it's extra bigoted that they're not representing the entire array of these identities on their new logo. That's crazy. Another question is, shouldn't they be forced or shouldn't they be, I guess, focused on putting the biscuit in the basket? Because that's the point of soccer. You need to put the ball in the goal more times than the other teams put the ball in the goal. Now, the United States soccer team is a joke because it's like our fourth and fifth tier athletes that become soccer players in this country. All of our top athletes are baseball players or football players or basketball players or something else, okay? Shouldn't they be focused on winning games? Kind of goes back to what I was talking about with the, the Essendon Bombers. It's like, do we really care about what the CEO believes in his personal life or do we care about winning footy games? Okay, but the interesting, interesting thing about this story, there's a lot of interesting things here. Push came to shove for the United States men's soccer team at least twice because of this whole debacle. And the United States men's national team folded both times. Push came to shove twice. Here are the two times push came to shove. Number one, showing up to the World Cup to begin with. And number two, they didn't actually wear the rainbow logo jerseys in their first match. So go back to number one. If you honestly did not want to support the, the World Cup in the country of Qatar that is so backwards and, you know, bans homosexuality and they do these horrible things and all the human rights violations and all that, then why did you show up? 
Wouldn't it make more sense in terms of like actually advocating for those people by just not showing up? Hey, we're the United States. We're the dominant uh, country in the world, even though we're not dominant in soccer at all. We're the dominant country in the world, and we're not going to even go and compete because you guys are so terrible. Okay? So push came to shove there, and they still got on planes, went to the Middle East, and they're going to compete. But then they had their first game, uh, you know, what was it, yesterday, day before, and they played against Wales, and, you know, it was a 1-1 tie or whatever, and they didn't wear the rainbow logo jersey thing on their kit. They didn't wear it. Why not? We were told a week ago that that's exactly what you're going to do because you had to show this backwards country who, you know, you know, that you mean, that you mean business, that you're the boss. But it looks like Qatar was like, sure, you can come and play in our tournament. But if you want to wear that on your jersey, we're not going to let you on the field. Now, I don't know that that happened. Like, I, I honestly don't know that that actually happened. But man, it's kind of interesting that they went out over their skis saying this is what they're going to do. And then when it came to actually playing in the game, they're like, okay, we'll wear our other jerseys. So my big takeaway on this one is it's funny how leftists flee from the, you know, we have to be tolerant of differing points of view and societal norms when those points of view and societal norms don't align with their leftist sensibilities. Because we've seen people, we've said there was a journalist that was apprehended because he was trying to walk in to one of the stadiums from one of the soccer games wearing a rainbow flag shirt and all those different things. And he posted it on Twitter and everyone's like, oh my gosh, why is this happening? Well, it's like, that's not your country. So in America, yeah, you can wear whatever you want to wear and you can have these ridiculous points of view and beliefs and you can do whatever you want, right? That's part of the thing about having the First Amendment and a full, you know, like a full strength First Amendment. But they don't have that over there in Qatar. You're playing by their rules. A lot of people are talking about Brittany Griner and how it's awful that she's in prison and it seems like she is being made an example of, but she broke a law in a foreign country and she did it knowingly. She did it on purpose. So, like, this isn't America. She didn't get arrested in Tennessee or Oregon. She got arrested in Russia. So the fact that she's an American doesn't really matter because of what she did. The same thing here is we want to tell people, like, in America... Oh, you know, that's just somebody with a different point of view. I know you're a conservative Christian, but you should be tolerant of other people's points of view. Go back to the interview with Guy Mason on the news show. Well, that's not very tolerant and loving. So you go over to to Qatar and you say, you guys aren't being tolerant and loving. And they're like, okay, bye. You don't have to be here. Oh, and if you break our rules while you're here, you're abiding by our laws. I don't care what, what color your passport is. You're abiding by our laws. So isn't that funny that these people all of a sudden are not tolerant of those differing points of view because those points of view just happen to disagree with theirs. All right, last quick hitter here. The sentencing of the Waukesha, Wisconsin Christmas Parade murderer. So this is according to the New York Post. A Wisconsin man convicted of killing six people and injuring dozens more when he drove through a Christmas parade near Milwaukee last year was sentenced to life in prison on Wednesday at the conclusion of a two-day hearing. Waukesha County Circuit Court Judge Jennifer Doro handed down the six mandatory life in prison terms to Daryl Brooks, 40 years old, who was found guilty on October the 26th of 76 criminal charges, including six counts of intentional homicide. Brooks deliberately drove his sport utility vehicle through police barricades last November and plowed into crowds of people participating in the annual parade in Waukesha, about 15 miles west of downtown Milwaukee. So my big takeaway, we'll go right to that with this one. I bet Wisconsin taxpayers wish they had the death penalty. Because the death penalty, I didn't know this until I, I looked into it a little bit. It was abolished in Wisconsin in 1853. Okay, they were one of the earliest states in the United States to ban the death penalty. And even before that, they had only enforced the death penalty one time. And it was kind of a botched uh, hanging and things like that. And so it didn't really go well. So they banned it almost immediately. But Wisconsin voters back in 2006 actually voted in favor of reinstating capital punishment in the state of Wisconsin, but the state legislature never adopted the statutes, you know, to honor the voters' wishes or anything, uh, any of the things like that. But this crime that Daryl Brooks did, again, taking his SUV, again, all the news things were like, SUV, drove through a parade. No, a man got in an SUV and decided he was going to kill people using that vehicle. But this crime that he committed obviously deserves a quick death, a quick death. There is no question. Who is responsible for the deaths of these people? They're, they didn't really need a trial, but, you know, it's, it's a good thing to honor that process that he gets one. So at what point are we going to say that the taxpayers of Wisconsin do not need to support this man's life for the next multiple decades? Because if he goes to, you know, if he lives to 70 or 80 years old, maybe 90 years old or something like that, we're talking 30, 40, 50 years that the Wisconsin taxpayers are going to be keeping this murderous scumbag alive. Like. I'm sorry, like on on this planet, 
If you kill people, we will kill you back. That doesn't mean that he can't be saved by the grace of God. We should be praying for the soul of Daryl Brooks. We should be praying that he comes to actually understand the level of depravity that he holds within his heart and that Jesus is literally the only way that he could be saved from that depravity and sin and that he could be walking in heaven someday if he turns away and repents from his horrifically terrible sinful life. So in that way, he's just like all of us that haven't murdered anybody, okay? Because we are all sinners. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And that that standard is something that we could never attain. So we should pray for this man. But in terms of justice, in terms of quick justice here on this planet, that man deserves to die. Those family members that, that are lost loved ones, many of them will die before he does. So they're going to go to their graves, not having the satisfaction of knowing that this man who deliberately killed their loved ones is still walking around, hanging out in prison, playing cards or something like that. So I know it's a rough way to end, but it is what it is. All right, guys, before we let you go, we are going to do a quick resilience boost out on Daunted Life. Our mission is equipping men to push back darkness with content that forges spiritual, mental, and physical resilience. So again, go to the Origin website to check out the full line of Origin and Jocko Fuel products. That's geese, jeans, boots, protein, energy drinks, supplements, and much more. Use the promo code UNDAUNTED to get 10% off your order. So guys, I got a link in terms of the show notes. We've got the donation link, and then I've got links to everything that we talked about in the first segment and also the quick hitters. All right, guys, thanks so much for listening to the show. We do appreciate it. Wherever you're listening to this, please subscribe, rate, and leave us a positive five-star review. If you want me to come speak live at your event or on your podcast, just shoot me an email to info at undaunted.life. That's I-N-F-O at undaunted.life. Follow us on Instagram and like us on Facebook and check out our website for everything else, including how to donate to keep more content like this coming your way. Just go to www.undaunted.life. And also, we want to thank the band August Burns Red for allowing us to use their music for our content. The music on this podcast is their song Cutting the Ties, which is off their 10th anniversary re-recording of their album Leveler. The links are in the description. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Remember, keep pushing back darkness, keep forging spiritual, mental, and physical resilience, keep seeking the Lion of Judah.